You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. If you have a Bible, you can open it up to Psalm 103, as we're going to be. And if you don't have a Bible, if you put your hand up, one of our ushers would love to give you a Bible. So just store your hand up, don't be shy. And they'll get one to you, and you, uh, you can keep that if you don't own a Bible. Um, when someone wants, a, wants you to know what a person is like, they tell you some things about that person. When someone wants you to know what a person is like, they tell you some things about that person. If a teacher wants you to know what their, a student in their class is like, they tell you some things about the student. You know, maybe how many times they ask to go to the bathroom the kind of work ethic the student has, how much homework that student hands in, the way the student is engaged during the class time. A parent is the same. If a parent wants you to know something about their child, they tell you some things about that child. Maybe the amount the child enjoys vegetables or the amount the child hates vegetables or the way the child treats their other siblings. They tell you some things about the child so you can know what the child is like. And David, in our in our passage today, is going to tell us what God is like. He's going to tell us some things about God so that we would understand him, so we would be aware of what our Father is like. And he does this. He does this so you and I would continue to join him in blessing the Lord. He tells us what God is like so we would continue joining him in blessing the Lord. So let's look at Psalm 103, verse Uh, Six, uh, together it says, starting verse six, as the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, God, that it tells us that you know our frame, that you remember us, that you know us. And God, in knowing us, you knew that we needed your word. You knew that we would need to hear from you if we were going to live life in a way that pleases you and brings you glory. And so thank you, God, for giving it to us. And God, I pray that as Your word is open now that we would get a real sense of what you are like, who you are. And God, the way that you feel about us, I pray that would come through, through my feeble words, Lord. You know how I feel in preaching, how weak I feel in in doing this. And so I pray for your strength. Holy Spirit, I pray you would help me. And I pray you would help us listen and apply the truth that are here for us. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can write this down, point number one. God makes his ways and acts 
known. God makes his ways and his acts known to us. Uh, Verse 6, David says, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. When he says that the Lord works righteousness, he's, he's talking about the fact that God makes right decisions for the people who are under oppression. That God makes right decisions for people who are oppressed. He does the right things for them. And that word oppressed, that word oppressed is actually pointing back to the people of Israel when they were in slavery in Egypt. It's pointing back. Exodus, Exodus 33, uh, 3, uh, 3 verse 7 says, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. The cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. See, God here is telling us, he's aware of what the people of Israel were going through. I said this last week, that God is not this detached father who's unaware of the things that we're going through. That God knows what we're going through. He's, he's aware, he sees it. And it's not just that he's aware and he's like, oh, Marv's going through that, who cares? He's aware and then he moves to help. God is aware of what we're going through and then he moves to help us. And so you need to know and be aware that whatever you're going through today, that God is aware and he is going to help you as you come to him and tell him the things that you are trying desperately to work through. He wants to help us. David also says that he works justice. He says he works justice. He's talking about the judgment, the judgment that God uh, uh, put on Pharaoh and the people of Egypt who, who did the, uh, the oppression, who led the injustice against God's uh, people. And that judgment was seen in the plagues and it was seen in what God did at the Red Sea. And so God works righteousness and justice by delivering his people from oppression and he punished those who oppress them. See, what we need to know here is that God writes wrongs. That God writes Wrongs, And many of us are being oppressed. He, write, he writes the wrongs of the people of Israel. Uh, he, they were being oppressed and he steps in. And many of us today, we're being oppressed. We're being wronged in some ways. Sometimes it's, it's people in our family. Sometimes it's people at work. It's former friends who are oppressing us. The world, Satan, this oppression is on us. And God says he's going to right those wrongs. That means we don't have to be discouraged in our suffering. We don't have to take things into our own hands. God's going to make things right. See, God hates injustice. He hates injustice, and so he steps in and he does something about it. And because God is our Father who hates injustice, you and I should also hate injustice. We live in a world that's full of uh, unjust systems where people are being oppressed. And you and I, if we see human beings being mistreated, being treated poorly, we should step in and help and stop oppression. Social justice issues matter to God, and those issues should matter to us as well. And we need to step in and and be gentle and respectful, but we shouldn't just stand back. We're not saved just to, to, to be swooped off to heaven. If that was the case, we'd be gone the moment we put our faith in Christ. We're saved to go to heaven and to be with our Father. That's true. But we're also saved to do some things here also. And so where we see oppression, that thing, those things should matter to us. And we should be more than willing 
to help. And not only did God right the wrongs done to, the, to his people, he, he also showed them his acts. He showed them his acts. Verse 7 says, he made his ways, uh, his ways unknown to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. Again, that word acts is referring, it's referring back to what God did for the, the, the people of Israel as they were in the wilderness. The word acts is referring back to what God did to and for the people of Israel as they were in the wilderness. In Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 8 reminds us what God did. It says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna. Which, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out. Your feet uh, did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord God disciplines you. And so we're told that God humbled them, that he humbled them, that he fed them, that he taught them that they needed his Word that he, he cared for their, their physical and material needs and that he disciplined them. He cared for them. He cared for them the way a good father cares for his children. And the acts that God did to the people of Israel, he does them to us. The acts that God did to the people of Israel to and for them, he also does to us. God will humble us when it's needed. God will humble us when it's needed. And that's in order to protect us from pride. It's to protect us from self-reliance. God wants us to be dependent on him every single day. And so if he needs to do it, he will crush you in the most loving way. In order to protect you from trusting in yourself and not trusting in him. He takes care of our physical Needs. He gives us a place to lay our head. He gives us food to eat. He puts clothes on our back. He takes care of our physical needs. He has given us his word. God's given us the Bible. And though some people don't believe in the word of God, they don't think that this book has the weight that it does. This is the most powerful book on earth, and God has given it to us. He has spoken to us so that we would know that we don't just need to eat food every day. We don't need to just have something to drink. We need to hear from God every single day in order to know how to live our lives well. And God loves us and gives us his word. And he disciplines us. He disciplines us. And this is really a good thing. Discipline sometimes sounds scary and, you, don't, you know, we don't like the idea of it, but this is actually a really good thing that God disciplines us because of what it tells us. It's a good thing that he disciplines us because of what it tells us. Proverbs 3, verse 11 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves. As a father, the son in whom he delights. God does this. He disciplines us because he loves us. 
He disciplines us because he delights in us. If you are here today and you feel like, I feel like I'm just being disciplined by God, that is a very good thing. It's a very good thing. It says that you are a legitimate son or daughter, that you're a child of God, that he cares about you. Think about it. The worst kind of parents are the ones who, step, who, who sort of step back and never, never discipline their kids. They never help their kids. They never say, no, that's not the way to do things. This is the way to do things. Those, are, those kinds of parents aren't loving. The most loving parents gently discipline and correct their kids. And it's, it's a means of saving their souls. And so when, if you're under the discipline of God, it's because he loves you. It's because he cares deeply about you. These are the ways and the acts of a good father, our father, God, who rights the wrongs done to his children, who provides for them in every single way, and who sanctifies, sanctifies us as we walk through life. He does what is necessary to make us like his son, Jesus Christ. What he did for the people of Israel, he does for us. God has made his ways and acts known to us. And this, point number two, God doesn't hold on to anger. Point number two, God doesn't hold on to anger. Verse eight says, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And so we're given four descriptions here of God that he's merciful, he's gracious, he's slow to anger. And it says he's abounding in love. In the book of Exodus, this description of who God is comes in Exodus 34. This description of who God is comes in Exodus 34. Now, if you know that book, you know that this comes right after Exodus 32, which is the golden calf incident. It comes right after Exodus 32. See, God had just rescued. He just rescued the people from slavery. He'd rescued the people of Israel. And as soon as they get away, as soon as they get out into the wilderness, they rebel against God. They turn against him. As quick as they get out, they turn quickly to sin. And so the truth is for them, this was the best time to hear this. This was the best time for them to hear this description of who God is. This is like music to their ears. Because this description explains to us the way God deals with his sinful people. It says he's merciful and gracious and slow, David says, to anger. Even though the people are quick to sin, even though they're quick to rebel against God, it, the Bible tells us that God is slow to become angry. He's not easily provoked. And this is where God is completely different than us. This is where God is completely different than us. We, we are quick to become angry. We are easily provoked. All it takes sometimes is a person cutting off, us off in traffic and our anger flares up. All it takes is the, uh, somebody saying to us the wrong thing at the wrong point during the day and our anger flares up. All it takes is that person in the grocery store line who is, who is checking out, but it, as far as you can tell, they're price matching every single thing in the cart. And they're not using the flip app either. They're using all the flyers. And what happens? Just, you just kind of feel the anger start to bubble just a little bit. 
uh, inside of you. Our anger flares up quickly. The Bible tells us that a God gets angry, that he does get angry, but he's slow in getting there. And God gets angry because God hates sin. He gets angry because he hates sin. He hates what sin does in the life of his children. See, here's the thing about sin. It's deceptive. It's deceitful. Just read, go home today and read uh, the beginning of Psalm 36. It tells you about the deceitfulness of sin. Sin deceives us. It tells us that this is going to make you happy. This is going to bring you joy. And then at the end of it, all we're left with is misery, pain, and regret. Sin is deceitful. It deceives us. It harms us. And so God hates sin. He hates what it does in the life of his children. And so he doesn't take it lightly. And so he gets angry. But even though he gets angry, God's anger, anger doesn't last forever. Verse 9 says, he will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. To not always chide means that God will not always contend or dispute with his people over their sin. God will not always contend or dispute with us over our sin. The word keep, the word keep means to hold on to, to, to guard something, to protect something. God doesn't protect anger. He doesn't hold on to anger. He lets it go. Again, this is where God is not like us. Again, we're, this is where God is not like us. We hold on to anger where God doesn't hold grudges. You and I, we hold grudges. How many of us have heard stories of siblings who haven't spoken to each other for years because of something that happened when they were, they were kids? And there's this anger there, and we hold on to grudges, sometimes waiting, just waiting for the opportunity to get back at the person who has harmed us. But God is not like that. He doesn't hold on to anger. There's a limit to his anger because of his uh, massive love. It's because of his massive love for us why there's this limit. In verse 8, it says that God is abounding in steadfast love. He's abounding, it says, that he's full of love. It's because God is love that he lets his anger go. He doesn't hold on to it. See, when the people sinned in, in Exodus 32, God expressed his anger, he dealt with their sin, and then he moved on. He expressed his anger. We've all seen dads like this. God's this, not this constantly angry father. We've seen fathers like this, right? Just always just a little upset, always just a little irritated, and the kids never know what to do around this guy. The kids are always just a little afraid, a little intimidated. So they sort of tiptoe, walk around on eggshells because they never really know when dad is going to explode. Those are terrible fathers. God is not like that. He's not this perpetually angry father. He lets his anger go. God doesn't use anger to break the spirit of his children. He doesn't use, he doesn't let his anger go so long that it breaks the spirit of his children. Isaiah 54, 
Isaiah 54 says, verse 7 says, For a brief moment I deserted you. For a brief moment I deserted you. But with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment. In overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you. But with everlasting love, with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. He says, my anger towards you was for a moment. But because of my everlasting love, because of the way I feel towards you, I move and I forgive. See, all of us have had moments. We've all had moments where we've sinned against God. We've sinned against God, but, but we've done the right thing. We, we've sinned, and then we took the next step, and we confessed those sins. But you know what we do? We walk around thinking that God's still angry at me. We sin, we confess those sins, but then, and, and God gives his forgiveness, but we walk around thinking he's still upset with me. God's still, I'm so, we're saying sorry over and over and over for the, for the sin that we've just confessed. But if we've confessed our sins to God, he's not angry with us. He's forgiven us. And so we don't have to walk around on eggshells around God. We don't even have to try to do all these things to make God happy with us again. He is happy with you. He has forgiven you. It says if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us all our sins. He's not angry. He has forgiven us. God's not walking around with a grudge against his children. He loves them. And so you need to know today that if you've confessed your sins to God, he's forgiven you. He's not angry with you. He loves you. He's happy that you've come back to him. He doesn't hold on to anger. God lets his anger go. And not only does he let anger go, he does this also. He removes our sin. He removes our sin. Not only does God get, let his anger go, God removes our sin from us. Verse 10 says, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. To those who fear him. The word deal and repay remind us that God has not, has not given us what we deserve. He does not deal with us according to our sin. That word sin describes actions that miss the mark of God's standard for living. See, God has given us a standard. He's told us, this is what it means to live for me. This is what it means to live as a human being. He's given us that standard. And every time we sin, we miss the mark of that standard. Iniquities uh, describes actions of a person who goes astray. Iniquities are the actions of a person who goes astray, but it's not an accidental going astray. When we commit iniquities, it's not an accidental going astray. It's a deliberately choosing, deliberately choosing the wrong road. So you and I don't fall into sin, right? You ever hear people say that? I just fell into some sin. Like sin's a cliff that just kind of came up out of nowhere. We don't fall into sin. We choose to sin. We deliberately choose 
the wrong road. We commit iniquities. We don't fall into sin. We walk towards it. But even though we, even though we do this, God does not treat us the way that we deserve. In verse 11, uh, David speaks of the distance between heaven and, on earth, and earth to, to give us a picture of how much God loves us. He says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. Again, it's his great love. Again, it's God's great love. It's his great love that causes him not to deal with us according to our sins. And notice here that the, the love, this love is directed towards those who fear him. You see that? Verse 11, it says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. Now, what does it mean to fear the Lord, some of you might be asking? What does it mean to fear the Lord? Now, when we hear the word fear, what comes into our minds sometimes is a picture of somebody kind of running away from something that's scary. It's this idea that we get this picture that somebody's running from something that's terrifying them, like somebody running from somebody trying to mug them. That's often what we think about when we hear the word fear. But David is not saying here that God's love is directed towards people who are running away from him in, in terror. He's not saying that. The people who fear the Lord are the people who love and obey him. Those who fear the Lord are the people who keep God's commandments. That's what he means. That, that's what it means to fear the Lord. It's to love him and obey him. It's not to run from him in terror. It's the people who have a right heart and attitude towards God. Those who fear the Lord have a right attitude and heart towards him. They love him. And Exodus 20 verse 6 tells us that God shows steadfast love to those who love him and keep his commandments. Keeping God's commandments is a sign that you fear and love the Lord. When you look at your life and you see that you, you are doing your best by the power of the Holy Spirit to keep the commands of God, that is a clear sign that you fear him, that you love him, that you know what he's done for you. And these are the people, these are the people who sin have been removed from them. These are the people who have their sins removed. Verse 12 says this, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Donald Williams explains this verse extremely well, so I'm just going to share with you what he says. He says, David assures us that as east and west will always be opposite and separated, so too will we always be separated from our sins. As east and west will always be opposite and separated, so too will we always be separated from our sins. God removes our sin from us. And so the question you should ask now is, where does he put them? God removes our sin, our iniquities, the things that we've 
done on, these, on this deliberate road that we've chosen. He removes those things from us. And the question we should ask is, where does God put those sins? Isaiah 53 answers. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All we like sheep have gone astray, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the sins that we committed on this wrong road. God has taken those sins, and he's placed them on his son, Jesus Christ. And he paid for them on the cross. Our sin is removed from us, and our sin is placed on him, and he pays for them. And what this separation means is that we are always and forever going to be safe from sin's punishment. You and I will never go to the place that we deserve to go for our sins. We will never be eternally separated from God the Father because Jesus paid for those, those sins. And so we are safe from sin's punishment even though sometimes we have to live with sin's consequences. We are saved from sin's ultimate punishment, even though sometimes we have to live with sin's consequences. And that's why, that's why when you run into someone who has been saved, they're like, I love Jesus. That's why they say, I love Jesus. That's why they have this deep affection for him, because they know that on the cross, Jesus paid their debt. That Jesus paid my debt. That he paid your debt. That our iniquities have been laid on him. And so we are, we are free from sin's punishment because he has taken it for us. God has not dealt with us according to our sins. He has not given us what we deserve. He removed our sin from us. He's not permanently angry with us. He's gone out of his way He's gone out of his way to show us his ways and his acts so we'd know how he treats us, so that we would know the amount that he loves us. And this, point number four, he does this also. God treats his children with compassion. God treats his children with compassion. It says, as a father, this is verse 13. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He remembers that we are dust. David uh, says God is like a compassionate father. That God is like a compassionate father. And this again is to give us another picture. He gives us another picture of the way God relates to his children, that even though we rebel against him, even though we sin against him, that he responds with compassion. He's compassionate towards us. This is actually, this is actually a way that earthly fathers can know if they're truly compassionate. This is actually a way that earthly fathers can know if they themselves are truly compassionate. John, John Golden Gay in his commentary on the psalm says, even when confronted by his children's rebellions, a father shows compassion. Indeed, it is their rebellions that test the reality of his compassion. It is their rebellions that test the reality of his compassion. See, how an earthly father responds to his children when they sin, 
how an earthly father responds when his children does things that he's just not expecting, things that they're not supposed to do, will tell him if he is harsh or if he's compassionate. It will tell him if he's harsh, if he's a harsh, hard man, or if he's compassionate. Now, I'm not saying compassion means you just kind of sweep your kids' sins under the rug. That's not loving either. You don't... Good fathers don't sweep away sin. They, they deal with it. But the way that they deal with it, there's a level of gentleness. There's a level of, of compassion that's there. They understand that this is a, a young and weak child in front of them. And they, and they deal with the sin in such a way that the child feels disciplined, yes, but cared for in the process. And so it, 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 it's a way that earthly fathers can truly know if they are compassionate. See, the people of Israel rebelled against God in the wilderness. You and I rebel against God in our wilderness. As we walk through our wilderness, we rebel against him. But God responds to us with compassion. He's compassionate towards us. And he does this because he understands us. He's compassionate towards us because he understands us. He understands us because he made us. He understands us because he made us. In verse 14, it says, he knows our frame. He knows our frame. It says, he remembers that we are dust. God has this intimate knowledge of you and I. This is actually pointing us back, again, pointing us back to the book of Genesis. The word dust is meant to point us back to the book of Genesis. And in Genesis 2, verse 7, it says, then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Genesis 3:19 says, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The word dust is to remind us, it's meant to remind us of our weakness. The word dust there is meant to tell us that you and I are frail, that we are actually weak. Now, some people don't like that being said. Some people don't even believe that. Right? You, you listen to the, to the self-help guru, guru and what are they telling you? That you're strong, that the strength is in you. You just got to believe in yourself. They tell you that you're, they tell us, they, they try to feed us that lie. But even though they try to tell us those lies, and even though some people don't believe that this is true, it doesn't change the fact that it's true. We are weak, and our weakness comes out all the time. Our weakness comes out all the time. You and I don't understand all the complexities of life. There's things in life that just confuse us. And that's a sign of our weakness. We're quick to become fearful and anxious when difficult circumstances come into our lives. We are constantly fighting temptation. Our flesh is weak, and so it's always wanting to go back, like I said last week, to the vomit. There's always this temptation that is on us. We can uh, easily sink into depression. We can easily sink into depression. It's because our flesh is weak. We get fatigued and beat down for, from the busyness and difficulties of life. We feel that all the time. It's because we are dust. That's just the truth. And our weakness comes out. And God knows this about us. 
He understands that you and I are weak. God looks at our frailty, our weakness, our struggles, and he responds with compassion. He looks at our frailty, our weakness, our struggles, and he responds with compassion. And God's greatest act of compassion is becoming one with us. God's greatest act of compassion is becoming one with us. His compassion moves him to take the next step. God's compassion moves him to send Jesus, to send his son to us. And Jesus shared in our humanity. Jesus understands our weakness, though he never gave in to it. See, sin and life beats us up at times. But sin never beat Jesus up. Sin never beat him up. And in Hebrews 4, verse 15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus defeated sin for you and I. And he understands what we go through. And even though we are weak, even though, when we are, though we are weak, when we put our faith, our trust in Jesus, when we trust in him for our salvation, we can become strong because he gives us his Holy Spirit who helps us to walk through life and to live in such a way that honors and pleases our Father. Our hope lies in the fact that God has a Father's compassion and sending Jesus, sending Jesus to us is God's ultimate act of compassion because in our frailty and our weakness you and I were never going to defeat sin on our own it's because we're dust now, David tells us a lot about God David tells us a lot about God he tells us what God is like and from everything that he tells us from everything that he tells us, the thing we should come away with is that God is a compassionate, loving father. That God is a compassionate, loving father who rights the wrongs done to his children, who doesn't hold grudges against his children. He's not constantly angry with us, who removes our sin from us. He's a compassionate father who understands that we are weak who understands that we are weak. And so again we see, again we see why David tells himself to bless the Lord and why you and I need to continue to do the same, why we need to continue to talk to our souls, telling ourselves to bless the Lord because he's a, com a compassionate father. God is a good father and we are his children. We are his children. First John 3 verse 1 says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Children of God, and so we are. We are God's children. He is our Father. And you and I, you and I could never ask for a better Father. He loves us. He loves us and cares for us in every single way and shows us his love every single day. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are, that you are a good father. That you really, really, really love us. 
And God, I pray for the person who's struggling right now to believe in that fact, to believe that you deeply love, love them, that they would believe that. And God, if they have not turned to you, that they would turn to you now. That they would turn to a good father who, would care, who will care for them for all of their life. And God, I pray for the people in this room who have turned to you, who you love so much. I pray, Lord, that they would know and never forget your deep affection for them. And that you are walking with them daily through the storms of life. That though we are weak, though we are dust, Lord, that you are with us and that you care deeply for us. I pray, Lord, that we would, we would not stop believing this week in your goodness. That we have the best father that we could ever ask for. That we are your children. And that you're going to care for us right, right up to the day that we meet Jesus face to face. And it's because of Jesus, Lord, that we can pray to you. Amen. This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.